And my little thing about the socialism thing actually probably shows that we haven't been making good memorials in this nation and teaching people what things should be and what shouldn't be in this nation. People died so that you can have freedom. Actually gave their lives so that you could have freedom in this nation. There's not many free nations in the world. And matter of fact, every one of them that is either a, a tyrant, dictator, socialist, communist, they all seem to fail. And they all seem to persecute people and murder and kill and destroy. It sounds almost like someone who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But anyway, that's... But freedom was given to us by the sacrifice of these uh, great men and women. But also, one of the greatest sacrifices of all time is Jesus Christ and what he came to do. Amen? And I want to speak about that memorial, about Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ came, gave his life for every one of us so that we could have freedom, so that we, we could become part of the family of God. And if you could put that um, uh, PowerPoint presentation up, I want to just read out of Ephesians chapter 2 about this great gift that he gave us. And we're going to learn some things today. This is going to be a hard message, but we're going to kind of say, get the, the difference between the, the sloppy grace and the total works people and get you in the middle and show you what the truth is. We're going to show you about the two judgments that every single person on the face of the earth, other than children who don't get the age of reason, will stand before a judgment. Every single one, including Christians, are going to stand before a judgment and give an account of their works. We'll get into that. But first, let's go to Ephesians 2. And I got it up on the board, and I want to just read that to you. For it is by grace that you've been saved. Amen. It was the gift from Jesus Christ. So it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift. A gift from God. You cannot earn salvation. It's a gift from God for every one of us. He wants to bring us back into his family. Matter of fact, the gift... If you get the gift and you take it, you get to be part of the family of God. You get salvation. Hey, and this is all coming off of my fingers. Uh-oh. Right, and your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Hallelujah. So would you like this gift? It's free. It's, it's a free gift. That is so cool. That's called grace. That is called grace. Nobody can earn that salvation. It's not of your works so that no one can boast. But then look at verse 10. After you're saved, here's what happens after you're saved. For we are God's what? Handiwork created in Christ Jesus for what? To do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So after we're saved, there's something we need to be doing. And I want to just spend some time sharing these two judgments with you that every Christian is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ Every believer and every non-believer is going to stand before the great white throne judgment. And every one of us is going to give an account. Those who are saved will get rewards and have something to do in heaven. And I'll show you this, that there's actually levels of heaven. And those who do not accept the gift and trample it underfoot will have eternal punishment for all eternity separated from God. And I'll show you that. Matter of fact, it's in the Bible 167 times. And I don't understand because maybe it's not we're not making good memorials or maybe we're not having messages on hell enough. But for some reason, 77% of all new um, 
in mainline denominations, not the assemblies, 77% of all new pastors going in to the ministry don't believe in hell. And if they don't believe in hell, how are the people ever going to believe in hell? Yet it's in the Bible 167 times. You know, sometimes we get in our own reasoning and thinking and say, how can a loving God ever put anybody in hell? And we start to reason just like they did in the, in the garden, Adam and Eve. How can a loving God ever put anybody in hell? And here's the answer. God never puts anybody in hell. You choose. Do you want the gift? Because it's free to everybody. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The gift is free. All you got to do is take it. You choose if you accept the free gift of heaven, salvation, written in the Lamb's Book of Life, be part of the family of God, or you choose hell. It's your choice, not God's. God wants all to be saved, but he gave you free will. That's your choice. So when someone comes up to you and say, how can such a loving God place anybody in hell? The answer is you've done that yourself if you haven't accepted the free gift. Because God gave a great sacrifice to every one of us. He died on the cross a violent death so that you could have eternal life. God did everything he could do. So let's go to the next slide. I want to share with, these, share with you these two uh, judgments. And we're going to probably spend some time. There's way too many scriptures for me to go through, so I'm going to throw a lot of scriptures at you. Get a pen and paper. Put on your seatbelt and, and kind of write these down. And be a Berean. Don't believe what I say. Check it out in the Bible, unless I'm reading scripture, of course. So everyone will choose to face one of these two judgments. The first judgment is called the judgment seat of Christ, where all believers will be rewarded according to their works. Yes, by your works. This sloppy grace message that's out there that says it's all about grace and you don't have to do any works. Once you're saved by grace, you've got a job to do. And how you build on the foundation of Jesus Christ will determine where you're going to be in heaven. That's the scriptures. That's the Bible. So the sloppy grace message out there that I'm saved and I can sit back and, oh, what? I'm, I'm saved by grace. I'm saved by grace. Saved by grace. Hallelujah. Yeah, you're saved by grace to do something. And there's works involved. And the works are to build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. And you've been given the power of the Holy Spirit in you to do those works. And that's trampling the Holy Spirit underfoot when you don't allow the Holy Spirit to work in you. Oh, that one. Anyway, the other one is called the Great White Throne Judgment. And all non-believers, all non-believers are going to be sent there. So I'm going to go through the scriptures to show you these two judgments and to show you what the scripture says about these two judgments. So let's go to the next slide. And if you all, as we, on this next slide, could you all turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. I'm going to read some other uh, scriptures first, but if you can get to 1 Corinthians 3, and um, we're going to probably read from verses 12 through 15. So what will happen at the judgment seat of Christ? What's going to happen there? What's called the Bema seat, or the judgment seat of Christ. It's, it's throughout the scripture. I put some of the scriptures there. Um, it's in 2 Corinthians. It's in Romans. It's in 1 Peter. It's in 1 Corinthians. It's in... Uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 8, it's throughout the scripture that you see that Christians are actually going to be judged. 
Now, do, do, does everybody know that? I mean, have you heard that before? Okay, good. Because it was weird because I was teaching in our ministry class, school of ministry, and it was amazing how many people didn't understand and know this. And then when we went through the Robert Morris videos and these two judgments were brought up, I was amazed because I sat in the room with the people how they, they never heard it. And here I am, a pastor, thinking everybody knows this. And I apologize to you as a pastor. Because I haven't been teaching this properly, that if there's people in this congregation that don't understand or know this properly. Here's what happens to all believers. And I'm going to read first from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. Stay with 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15 in your, put your thumb in there, but I'll read this to you. Therefore, and he's, he, he's talking to the church that is in Corinth. So he's talking to believers. So Paul's telling the believers this, and this is what he says. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent. So he's saying, hey, whether I'm there with you or not, to be well-pleasing to him, for we must all, A-L-L, appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. He's telling all Christians that you're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account. All Christians are going to stand before Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, in Ecclesiastes um, 12, 14, it says, God will bring every work of man into judgment. Every work of mankind into judgment, whether good or bad. Um, 1 Peter 1.17 says, If you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout this time and your stay here in fear. He's telling us that we should be fearing God, uh, awe, reverential fear of God, because every single one, including Christians, are going to have to stand before either the judgment seat of Christ or the great white throne judgment. So your eternity is determined by grace and a gift from God that you either accept or reject. But where you're going to spend eternity in heaven and what you're going to be doing in heaven is determined by what you do with the gift after you receive it. And those who reject the gift and trample it underfoot will be eternally separated from God. We'll get into that later. Okay, where, where will you turn to now? Let's read that. Everybody, I'm not putting it on the board, so I want you to read it in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Now, again, he's talking to Christians here, okay? So this is to you. Listen to this. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, the foundation, of course, is Jesus Christ. So if anybody's building on the foundation of Jesus Christ with gold, Silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. Listen now, listen. Each one's work will become clear, and the day, capital D for Judgment Day, will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work, and what sort uh, it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on, endures, he will receive a reward. Hallelujah. So you're going to get rewards in heaven. 
And if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved as though through fire. So yeah, you're going to get into heaven. You will get into heaven by accepting Jesus Christ. But the things that you do and the works that you do will determine what type of heaven you're going to have. Yeah, it's, you'll be in the presence of God. But, and Jesus gives a parable about this. I'm going to read this a little later. It's in, Matthew, or it's in Luke chapter 19. But your eternity is determined by what you do with the gift. Matter of fact, let me go through some things just to confirm it for you because I see some of you like, really? Yes, really. Um, there's crowns that each of us will get. For instance, um, you're going to receive an imperishable crown if you finish the race. It says that in 1 Corinthians 9. Write that down, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. If you finish the race that he's put you in, you're going to get an imperishable crown. Wow. Hallelujah. I need one on this head. There's a crown of righteousness to all those who love, who love his appearing. So all those who are loving and looking forward to Jesus Christ coming, there's going to be a crown given to you called the crown of righteousness. That's in 2 Timothy 4.8. There's a crown of rejoicing given to all the soul winners. Those who are soul winners are going to get a crown of rejoicing. And that's in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. This is all scripture about rewards that come to you for doing what you should be doing building on Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know what these, you know, what comes with the crown, but obviously you're getting a crown. Um, there's a crown of glory to all pastors and teachers. So those who are pastors and teachers, you actually, there's a crown of glory. Now, everyone is called to teach and minister. So there's a crown of glory that God gives you for doing that. There's a crown of life. Oh, and that's in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. There's a crown of life to those who are suffering and are being persecuted. And that's in 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and James 1, 2. James 12, actually, not 1, 2. Do you see that there's kind of like, these are rewards? You get it? Doesn't Jesus say, store up for yourself treasure in heaven? How can you store up? Treasure in heaven. Well, you can, according to the word of God. Matter of fact, in uh, Revelation chapter 4, what do you see the 24 elders that are around the throne doing? There's 24 elders around the throne. Anybody remember what's happening with those 24 elders? They're taking crowns that they've been giving and casting them before Jesus. They've got crowns on. Obviously, they've been rewarded for something. And that's in... Um, Revelation chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. 1 John 2, 28 says that we need to abide in him because if we're not abiding in him, um, it says, if you abide, you need not be ashamed at his coming. How can a Christian, again, written to Christians, says little children abide in him. So he's talking to Christians. How can children of God, already saved, be ashamed at his coming? The scripture says you better be abiding in him or you're going to be ashamed at his coming. So again, there's rewards for Christians. This, do you understand now what grace and works is? Works is after you receive the gift of grace, you need to be about the father's business. You've been bought into the family and you've been left on this earth for a purpose and a plan. 
And that purpose and plan is the Great Commission. And some of us may not be involved in the Great Commission, but I want to tell you that's why you're here. That's why you're here. It's souls for the kingdom, teaching and training and discipling others, building yourself up so you can be trained. You know, it, a lot of our messages and a lot of our services, not here, not here, are feel-good services and feel-good messages. Unless, oh, there wasn't the worship beautiful. I got all kinds of oh, tinglies up my arm and stuff. Well, how is it relating to you building the kingdom and walking out these doors or praying for people at the altar here? Are people getting saved? Does it somehow relate to that? And if it's all about you getting tinglies, I'm going to tell you that work's getting burned up. We have become selfish in the church. And it's all about good services. Let's have a good service so I can feel good. Oh, and all the stuff that's on me. And I feel so, oh, I'm just so overwhelmed by the world. And oh, I got to take this drug and I got to take that drug to feel better. And I, oh, I feel sick all the time. And oh, woe is me. Do you really think God's going to take that stuff? I mean, I know I'm stepping on toes right now. But when you stand before God, will that stuff really matter? It's going to get burned up. The only thing that's going to last. Come on. I know I'm stepping on some of your toes, but you need this. You need it. I told you this is going to be a little bit of a tougher message. And you guys are getting quiet. Let's go on to the... There's a bunch of scriptures there. Write them down. Check them out. And look at them for yourself. Because this is an issue. Here's what happens. There's a lot of people out there saying... Wow, look at this about hell. All of our stuff's going to be burned up, but we're going to be saved. So really, there's no hell. There's like a purgatory type thing where we just go, and all our works are going to get burned up, and then we're going to get saved. This was never about hell. This is about believers and believers' works, and this is about the judgment seat of Christ. And they get these two judgments mixed up, and they start to mix up people and say there's no such thing as hell. There's just like a little purgatory time where all your works are going to get burnt up, and we're all going to stand before God. Loving God's never going to separate you from him. You're just going to have to go through a little time where your works are burned up. That doesn't say that there. This is directly written to believers. Your works are going to be burned up. But let's see what the other judgment is. And that's the judgment where you don't have this free gift, where you kind of just drop kicked it. That was a bad drop kick. But can you go to the next slide, please? What happens at the great white throne judgment? Because there's actually another judgment. By the way, this judgment for believers happens after Jesus Christ returns. This judgment happens after the millennial reign of Christ. And you can read about it in Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. As a matter of fact, let's read it. And if you go to the next slide, let's read it off the board here so that you can see it. I think I have it on the board. If you go to the next slide. Oh, I don't. Leave that up there. I'll read it. So we're going to go to Revelation chapter 20. Can everybody turn there? Revelation chapter 20. Get your Revelation chapter 20. I'm not there. Revelation. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Some people call it the book of Revelations, but it's called the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation. Okay, we'll start at verse 11, the great white throne judgment. Why do we call it the Great White Throne Judgment? You're going to see right here how, why it's called the Great White Throne Judgment. Now listen to this. 
This is what happens to everyone. Matter of fact, before I start reading this, hell was never made for mankind. The scriptures say that hell had to be enlarged. Hell was made for the devil and his angels. But because man rejected the gift of God, hell has been enlarged. Where man now goes there. And it's because of his own free will choice. But here is what happens. And before we go there too, let me give you some... There's a lot of people who say, well, hell is not the right word in the Greek, and Sheol is not the right word in the, in the Hebrew. Everyone, and this is in Scripture, all through the Scriptures, everyone goes to a place and waits. Those that, are, that don't have the salvation of God, they go to a place and wait for this great white throne. They call the place hell where they go and wait. They call it Sheol, the place of the dead where they go and wait. But there's a place called the lake of fire where death and Sheol and hell are going to be cast into forever and ever. And so people get mixed up again, and they try to mix up people with this stuff. Right now, Jesus gave the, the parable about Lazarus and the rich man. And the rich man was in this waiting place, and he says, even dip your finger in some water so I can have some. Jesus was saying this rich man was waiting for something in a burning, fiery place. Of course, this was before Jesus died on the cross. And Lazarus was waiting for a time when Jesus would come down and preach to those that are being held there and that they, they would be able to be taken home. Lazarus actually is not in that place anymore because Jesus Christ died on the cross. Now, I'm getting way off, but I, I didn't want to go there. But I want you to know and understand all that. So the, let's just read what the scripture says instead of me getting off on all this stuff. The great white throne judgment. Then I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it that's why it's called the great white throne of judgment. And this is God, by the way. For those whose face the earth and heavens fled away. These are the face of the people who would not accept him and fled away from him. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. Hey, we got that as part of the gift. I guess they didn't take it, though. The Lamb's book of life. And the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books. Every single one of us has books being written about us. There's a record of what you've done with salvation and what you've done if you haven't received salvation. And the books are up there. And these books will be opened. God's kind of perfect, you know, and he's got good records. Nothing is naked and hidden from God. Everything is open and exposed. There's no thought. Come on. There's no place you can hide and go into your sin and think you're getting away with it. Everything. And so the books are open. And without salvation and without him covering those sins, these people now have to stand before God and give account of their lives. And it says there's none righteous. No, not one. Let me keep reading. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades were delivered up, the dead that were in them. So this waiting place of Hades and hell, Seol, 
now is being opened up and everyone is coming before the throne of God and giving an account, a final account. And they were judged, each one according to his works. And death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. And this is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. You know, Jesus actually preached about hell, death, the lake of fire over 33 times. He was only on the earth in a public ministry for three years. Pastor Brenda, think about that. That's once a month. That's about once a month he was talking about hell and death. You know, we hear it maybe once every... What would happen if Jesus was here preaching like that? What type of church would he have? Do you think he would be filled with uh, feel-good people? The tickle-ear people? I don't know if he'd even have a mega church. Because he was telling them the truth. 33 times Jesus speaks more about hell and the lake of fire than he does about heaven. The only other thing he talks about more is money, and we spent a whole series on that. And I know some of you say, why are you talking so much about money? Because that's what Jesus talked about. We want to talk about what Jesus talks about. Amen? 33 times. Hell is in the Bible, or this lake of fire is in the Bible over 167 times. And I don't have time to go through all the verses. This is not a fun place. I don't know if I should... Hmm. Father, you, you ask, you know what? Let me read a couple, just a couple things about it. It's eternal, it says in the Bible. It's a place of wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said that one, two, three, four, six times he said that. It's a place of everlasting fire. Jesus said that one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. And Jude says it once. It's a place of torment. Jesus says that. It's a place of corruption. Jesus said that twice, Acts 2, 7, 27 says it once. And it's a place of utter darkness. Jude says that. Matter of fact, it talks about the worms that never die that will be crawling all over you. And it's going to be a place of darkness. So there will be stuff crawling all over you, biting you and all over. And you're not going to be able to die. And there's eternal fire. And it says that, it, that it's a bottomless pit. So you don't have any bottom to... Come on, I'm standing on solid. I can touch this chair. But in a bottomless pit, you're just suspended in darkness. And there's things all over, crawling all over you. And there's screams, it says, and gnashing of teeth. People say, I want to go to hell because that's where all my friends are. Really? You want to go to a place like that? And there's no light because the light of heaven is going to be given by Jesus Christ. So there's no light there because it's the absence of Jesus. So there's no light. And they'll be tormented day and night because they will know and understand that they rejected the free gift. And we've got the answer, and we've got the memorials, and we've got all the stuff to share this with other people. But we have our comfortable meetings and have our comfortable life and have our comfortable Christianity why people every day go to that place forever and ever. And it is a real place, and it is in the Bible. And I don't care if you don't believe it or not, read the Bible. It's there. And if we sit by and play our Christianity games and have our comfort zone Christianity, when we're called 
to teach and train and help and make disciples and bring souls out of that. And who was not found written in the book of life shall be cast in the lake of fire. And the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. You can't even sleep there. How many of you ever went three or four days without sleep? You know how that feels, don't you? There's no rest there. No rest day or night. And these are the people who refuse the gift of eternal life. And because they have refused the gift of eternal life, they have eternal separation from God. And Jesus is a good, good father. We, we sang it. We read it. We look at it in the Bible. Matter of fact, I went through the Song of Songs just shortly about how Jesus pursues us and loves on us and, and has eternal destiny for us if we are yielded to his spirit and allow that. But I want to read something out of Romans before I... Well, we got time. Read something out of Romans. Um, because a lot of people say this. Well, what about those tribes way off in the jungle of New Guinea? Who? What are they going to do? This isn't fair. It's not right. God, why would you ever cast them in a place like that? Again, it's, everybody has a choice, including them. Let me read something to you out of Romans. It says that, what happens to those people. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteous men who suppress the truth of unrighteousness. See, all of mankind has common ancestors. And if you even look in the, the, the history of the Indians, they've got it written up. There was a flood. Mankind has always had a history of God. And it says in the scriptures that if anyone calls out to me, I will show myself to him. If you call me out with all of your heart, I will show myself to you. Here's what the scripture says in Romans chapter 1, that they are without excuse. Every single person on the face of the earth is without excuse because every single person has the ability to call on God. Matter of fact, it's so weird that, that you got missionaries that get turned to a different tribe and then there was somebody waiting for them or three or four people in that tribe get saved or a whole tribe get saved and God uses us, yes. What about all the Muslims right now? Everybody hearing about the Muslims who are getting dreams and visions about Jesus Christ and accepting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? They're calling out to God, and God's showing himself to them. Come on. There's a lot of people that get dreams and visions of God who don't call out on, onto him either. I could only get this through to you guys. but Okay, Romans chapter... Um, not, 1 verse 19, because of what uh, may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Listen, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. If you just look at a star, come on, you're going to think there's a God. And when you begin to think there's a God and you begin to call out to the creator of the universe, he says he will make himself known to you. His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. Because although they were knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, 
and their foolish hearts were darkened. You know what? I think I'm going to go on and read a few verses here. You're not going to like these, some of you, but I'm going to list, tell you what happens to a nation when it turns from God. It's right here. I'll read God's own words. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, the birds, the four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to their uncleanness and the lust of their own heart to dishonor their own bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, who blessed them forevermore. For this reason, now listen. I want you to hear this, all of you, because there's something in our nation that's happening that's not good. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also men leaving the natural use of the women burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing that which is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting being filled with unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud boasters, inventor of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God and those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve those practices. When we allow the homosexual agenda in our nation, and we approve that stuff, young people, because I know a lot of young people do that, you just approve that practice. We have a message, and the message is, is that God created man and woman for procreation. He didn't create Adam and Steve. And for us to go along with that and allow that to happen on our watch, shame on you, because you will give an account of it. That wasn't in the message, I'm sorry. I just <laughs> you guys are getting quieter and quieter. I better kind of get moving on here. Now, does Jesus talk about these two judgments? Let me read some more scripture to you, because I want to read it right out of Jesus' mouth so you see these two judgments out of Jesus' own mouth. Okay, so I'm going to go to Luke chapter 19. Go to the next slide. Um, so Jesus speaks this parable in Luke chapter 19 about what's going to happen at the end because the people are getting like, hey, he's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to set himself up as king. And he was just before he was leaving for Jerusalem. So this is just before he goes and dies on the cross. And this is what he says in Luke chapter 19 verses, we'll start at verse 11 up there. Now Jesus um, says this to them. Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was so near to Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. So what he was trying to do is say, hey, look it, you guys aren't getting it. You really think that I'm going to set up my kingdom now, but I want to get to this thing straight. Here's what's going to happen next. And he explains what these two judgments are and that he's going to go away and he's going to come back. So let me just read these to you in his words. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman, that's him, went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom, heaven, 
and then to return. Didn't he say, I go to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come again and receive you to myself? Did he say that in the Word of God? Okay. Somebody got it. So he called the ten servants. Servants. These are already servants to him. These are already his. They're, they're part of his household. They're servants. And he called the ten servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, do business till I come. Another scripture says, occupy until I come. Another scripture says, this is the great commission. Other one says, make disciples, heal the sick, lay hands. You guys are getting it? Okay, do business until I come. But the citizens, meaning the rest of the world, hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man reign over us. And isn't that, when you hear the name of Jesus, isn't that what happens to a lot of people that are unsaved? There's almost like a hatred. Because, again, maybe we haven't been teaching them the true Jesus. And so it was that when he returned, Jesus, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants, us, to whom he had given the money or the purpose or the destiny to be called to him that he might know how much everyone had gained in trading. And he came to the first saying, Master, your mina has earned ten minas. And he said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Because you were faithful in very little, you have authority over ten cities. Because you've been faithful with the gift in heaven, you're going to have authority over ten cities. I'm paraphrasing, but do you get it? And he said, to, okay, that's verse 18. And the second came saying, Master, your mina has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to them, you also are over five cities. Again, rewarded according to what they did with the gift. Makes sense. Pretty simple, right? Then another came saying, Master, here's your mina. Here's your mina. I've been holding on to it. Here's your mina. Did I get that green stuff on me? For I have feared because you are an austere man. You collect what um, you did not deposit, reap where you did not sow. So he said to him, Out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. He knew that I was an austere man collecting what I did not deposit, and reaping where I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money to collect at least interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the miner from him and give it to the one with ten minus. That would be maybe your wood, hay, and stubble just got taken away from you. And anything that you did have in the kingdom of heaven, you're going to be there. But the one who was faithful is the one who's going to be have something more important to do there. You get it? Mm. Let me go down to verse 23. Why then did you not put my... Oh, that's right. Okay, verse 24. And he said to those who stood by, take the miner from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. But they said unto him, Master, he has ten minas. For I say to you that everyone who has 
built on a solid foundation. Those are my words. Everyone who has, it will be given to him. And even what he has, and, and from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. It says that all your stuff is going to be burned up like fire. You're still going to get your soul saved. You're still going to get into heaven, but all that junk that doesn't add up in the kingdom of God is going to be taken away. It's going to be burned. It's going to be useless. Here's, a, here's another scripture. What does it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose or give up his soul? And what shall a man give in exchange for a soul? I mean, there's souls dying all around us. But what have we given up? To touch those souls for Christ. Well, hey, I gotta go golfing today. I don't have time to go soul winning. Hey, we gotta go, go out to the beach. Man, it's a beautiful day. I wanna go swimming. You've got a few short years on this earth. A few short years. And then you've got all eternity to spend with Jesus Christ and all ecstasy and all love. You're gonna be creating things, you're gonna be over ten you're gonna have all kinds of great stuff happening. But while you're on this earth, you have a job to do, and it's to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ and make disciples. It's not about your hobbies. It's not about your games. It's not even about your family. Well, I couldn't be to church today because I didn't feel good. I wonder, oh, I wanted to go, oh, it was a sunny day. I needed to lay in the sun. Really? <laughs> I'm using your really too much. I'm sorry. <laughs> and look at what he says to those at the end in verse 27 who were the citizens, who were the ones who didn't get any minus given to them. He says, and bring here those enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. In those verses, Jesus explains the two judgments pretty simply, if you understand what the two judgments are. Yes, we're saved by grace. Yes, it's a free gift. Hallelujah. You can't earn salvation. It's a gift. But what you do with the gift after you receive it really does matter. And those who just drop kick it and don't want it, it's the lake of fire. Let's all stand. You need to check these scriptures out if you have a hard time with what I've said today. You need to look at the word of God yourself and see what it says and quit listening to even me when I say things that aren't maybe, when I'm not talking, when I'm just talking, check me out. That's called, um, Paul loved it. He says, I love you Bereans. You Bereans, check out the scriptures and you follow after what I'm saying. Follow after what I'm saying. Check out the scriptures on what I'm saying. Look at the word of God. Don't listen to the. There's another one going around that there's a raptureless church. My goodness. It says in Thessalonians, the Thessalonians thought they missed the rapture. It's in the Bible. And Paul says, no, you didn't miss his coming. This is what's going to happen. The rapture's been in the Bible since the beginning. But they say, no, there was this woman in the 1800s who had a dream, and that's where the rapture came from. And they put that out in all the books, and all of a sudden there's this raptureless speaking. Of, I'm off on something else, I know. But there's all kinds of crud out there. In the last days, they're going to... 
Come on. People are going to have itching ears. Let me just hear what I want to hear. Let me have a good, feel-good message so I can go home and feel good, so I can hang on to my salvation gift. Hallelujah, I'm saved. Hallelujah. Oh, man, it's mine. <laughs> when actually our job is to be giving these to everyone we see crying from the rooftops about Jesus and about his beautiful gift. We have a good, good father who's given everyone in the world the opportunity to be with him for all eternity. And he's made a way for the whole world to come to him. We have an opportunity to share that with others. What a privilege. He left us on this earth so that we would be able to share that with others. We're in a building company. It's called, I call it this, it's not in the Bible, but I call it Father God and Sons and Daughters. And we're building a kingdom and we're building a family. And our job is to build that kingdom and build that family and allow him to, through his Holy Spirit to use us to touch others. Everybody has a choice. Everyone in this room has a choice. And every single one in this room will face one of these two judgments. Every single one of you will face one of these two judgments. Now I'm going to talk to Christians first. Where are you at spiritually? Where are you spiritually? Yeah, you're saved by grace. But what have you done with the grace gift? Because you're going to give an account. All your works are going to be burnt up if they're not for Christ. And all those works that you build on the foundation will bring rewards for all eternity that you'll have. Now, do we do those things for the rewards? We do them as they were throwing down their crowns before Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation, the 24 elders. We do it because we love him and because we're part of the family. It's not about our works. But I'm going to tell you, you work, your works do matter. And you're going to be judged for your works on this earth. Christian, you need to make a, an assessment today. Where am I at? What am I doing with the salvation gift that was given to me? What am I doing for the kingdom of God? Because all the rest of the stuff is going to burn up. You know, when you're laying on your deathbed, are you really going to say, boy, I wish I worked one more day. Oh, I wish I would have got that overtime in. Oh, I wish I would have been on that golf course one more time. Oh, I, I wanted that vacation. I wish I would have taken that, that other vacation. No, you're going to be standing before soon before the king. And what's going to be going through your mind is, what could I have done more for the kingdom? Don't get to that point. It says, don't be ashamed at his coming. Be in Christ. If you have not been living in that place, this is your day to make a change. That's what we do here in the church service. We ask folks for decisions. Christians, you need to make a change if you have not been giving everything to Christ. And you also need to make the change of, Holy Spirit, come and search this vessel. And if there's anything in me that's not of Christ and not of building up your kingdom, and it's not about bringing and building on your foundation, the gold, the silver, the things that matter. Show me. Show me right now. Show me. And people come to me as a pastor and they ask things like this. What should I do about A? Or what should I do about B? Or what should I do about C? And they want me to agree with them. 
Because they already got an answer. And it's a lot of times, I'm going to tell you, and it's Christians, the answer has nothing to do with the kingdom. It all has to do with about them. And they want me to tell them and agree with them. And then they get mad at me when I show them the scripture. Not everybody. It's time to make a decision. It's time to make a decision, Christians. I want heads bowed now. And this is also very important to you that maybe have not accepted this free gift of salvation. Maybe you haven't accepted this gift. Maybe you haven't been part of the family of God. Maybe you have not your name written in the Lamb's book of life. The beautiful thing about this is the free gift is offered to you by Jesus Christ. And you can't earn it. That's the grace part of it. You can't earn it. All you got to do is take it. Is there anybody here that wants that gift today? Is there anybody here that wants that free gift of salvation today? I want to see your hand up high. Say, yes, I want that gift. I want that gift today. I need that gift. Give me that gift of salvation. Here's the exchange. Jesus says, give me all your sickness, disease, your sin. Give me all your dirt, your shame, your condemnation. And let me give you salvation in exchange. I'll take all of your stuff on me and I'll die in your place. So that you can have eternal life with me forever and ever. What a great exchange. Does anybody want to make that a great exchange today? Are you sure you've made that great exchange? I'm looking around the room and I know a lot of you. And I know that a lot of you have made that exchange. But I still, we have to, I want to give that opportunity. There's a few of you I don't know here today. Guess. Everyone, everyone, listen to me. God does not put anybody into hell. The lake of fire, that's your choice. God wants you to be part of his family forever and ever. And he's got a great purpose and destiny for you. He loves you. He wants to write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. But you have to take the gift. Your part is you have to take the gift. I'm going to wait one more minute here. I want to make sure. Is there anybody right now, raise your hand high, that wants that gift? You say, man, he is really pressuring me. This is a matter of life and death. I want to ask you something. You can all sit down because I got you standing for a while. But I'm going to ask you a simple question. Christian, uh, this is for you. Let's say your neighbor's house is on fire and there's kids in there and the family's in there and their animals are in there and it's burning and they're in the house and you see it. Well, I'm too busy. I got stuff to do. Well, maybe someone else will take care of that. Because every single time we go by a soul who's not saved and go by a house that's not saved, it's not much different than doing that spiritually. Your job on this earth while we're still here is to go rescue the perishing to grab the lost, to get them out of those burning flames forever and ever. Come on, I've seen, God has shown me stuff. 
Uh, <laughs> I didn't want to go here. <clears throat> I've seen visions of hell. Torment, death, and destruction is not. Every waking moment that we're alive, there's people going off into that torment because they didn't choose the gift. Have we set up our memorials properly? Have we taught our children? Have we taught baby Christians properly? Has it been preached from our pulpits? the purpose of salvation and the plan that has been given to us while we're still on this earth and the opportunity to co-mission with him to bring others out of there to plunder hell and to populate heaven is our call. Will God get to a lot of those people himself? Yes, because God is a loving God. But you're part of the family, and you're building block in this, and you're part of Father God, sons and daughters, the name of the company. That's the name I made it. It's not in the Bible. That's your job. That's your job. I'm going to open up the altars right now to Christians. And those who just want a deeper hunger for souls, a deeper hunger for their destiny and purpose on this earth, a deeper hunger to want more of the kingdom in their life, to touch others with it. I'm going to ask you to come forward, and we're going to have prayer teams up here, and you can just lay and kneel at the altar here. But begin to come. Begin to come because this is between you and God. It's not about who sees you coming up. This is between you and God right now. Call out to him. Cry out to him right now. Cry out to him. <clears throat>